Beyond Governance, Making Sense of Doing Business in South Africa is proudly sponsored by Plus94 Research, the science of decision making. Welcome to the first installment of Beyond Governance at 101.9 for 2022. Yours and truly, Nimrod is here. Super excited about the prospect of this of the show for the year. I'll be equally share my zeal. Vigorously bounce back by collaborating more as individuals and businesses. I hope you have rested and ready to capture your world through sheer hard work and determination. Those who lost who, those who lost their loved ones, means of income, I say to you, it is never too late to start afresh. May this year be your best ever. I'm grateful that I can share this moment with you and thanks for tuning in as we continue to illuminate deeds and misdeeds of leadership, hoping that we can change the course of history for the better. It's time to focus on economic recovery as it holds prosper for millions of people who are languishing in poverty as they have lost hope. We need a last push to get as many people vaccinated to secure maximum herd immunity. That is so vital for, for economic recovery, if not reporting. Every ounce of confidence is critical in our personal lives and businesses and those in leadership have the moral and political obligation to lift as they rise by inspiring hope. Talking of hope, Napoleon Bonaparte once said, a leader is a dealer in hope. This assertion comes at the backdrop of unemployment rate that is sitting at about 40%, dysfunctional municipalities where service delivery is only lip service, ages findings on exorbitant irregular expenditures, fruitless and wasteful expenditure, near collapse of state-owned enterprises, thanks to brazen and shameless looting of endemic proportions. We continue to ask questions about political will that puts ordinary citizens before the party. We continue to ask to ask for justice on those implicated in the wrath that will take the generation to thaw. We also continue to ask questions about the returns of investments in the education system, the intelligence and policy community. We also continue to ask questions about the relevance of appropriateness of labor policies and economic policies. It must also frown upon opulence in the sea of poverty. Our bubbles cannot protect us from societal anger, which is festering. While these questions are critical, let's also bring to bear the evidence on alternatives. In the same vein, we need to give credit where, where credit is due. In my humble group, the vaccination program um, is setting the country on the, on the recovery despite many teething challenges. Government and private sector organization needs to, needs to be acknowledged and applauded for job well done under difficult circumstances. The lessons learned from COVID-19 is the fact that public and private sector organizations have collaborated in an unprecedented fashion, hence the country is getting itself for economic recovery following massive job losses. Focus upon in our discussions with my esteemed guest, Professor Bonamahal, who is the Chancellor of Prestige University, a chairperson of Bidvest Group, and the president of BUSA will be unpacking the Zona Commission reports that was presented to the president of Zona last week. In his capacity as the BUSA president, we are eager to hear the so what question and what is next from the BUSA's perspective. South Africa has witnessed close to about 15 commission of inquiries with varying levels of success. Arguably, South Africa can be labeled the capital of commissions. In putting this argument into perspective, one could immediately talk about the following commissions that precede the Zona Commission, the Arms Deal, the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, Dohan Commission, Pepper Commission, Commission on Ellis Park Disaster, the NPA Commission, SARS Commission, Peace Commission, the Americano Commission. These are some of the examples of the Commission of Inquiries which preceding the Commission of Inquiry into the State Capture, which is the subject of our discussions with my esteemed guest. At this rate, we are likely to see yet another Commission of Inquiry uh, that led to the guttering of Parliament and the looting which took place sometimes last year. South, South Africans deserve nothing but actions, particularly those that are implicated. In my view, any administration that is building hope has to inspire confidence. And confidence can be derived from the actions that are derived, that, that, that could be um, detected and applied from the outcome of the, the, the Zona Commission, as it were. Without any waste of time, let me welcome Professor Bonamahale, the president of BUSA, to our MISC. On that note, uh, Professor Dade Bonamahale, as always, you are welcome to the show. 
We are delighted to have you in our maiden show for 2022. Thank you for having me and thank you for choosing me to start the year with. I'm absolutely humbled beyond words, especially because today is 667 days since the national state of disaster was declared on the 15th of March. Or if we want to think about it differently, it's 656 days since the national lockdown that came into effect on midnight, the 26th of March. Therefore, none of us can claim to be normal, having spent 92 weeks um, in lockdown uh, conditions or even 22 months um, just to make it even more stark. Thank you very much for that anecdote, which is very important. Uh, this is Beyond Governance at 101.9 High FM. My name is Nimrod Mbele. I am joined by Professor Bona Mahale, who is the president of USA, and we are unpacking the, the first report presented to the uh, presented to the president by the Zondo Commission, as it were. Beyond Governance, making sense of doing business in South Africa, is proudly sponsored by Plus 94 Research, the science of decision making. As you proceed, Dr. Mahale, the first commentary that I'm fitting in your space is to acknowledge the book that you've recently uh, written or published uh, titled Behold Tattle. In this book, you are speaking about epidemic of a different kind, uh, namely the state capture, which is so pivotal in our discussion. Firstly, what triggered the invigorating topic behold the turtle? Litebele, this is my second book, and I'm very blessed for your continued support because the second book was launched on Tuesday, the 30th of November, and within two weeks, it made it onto the top 10 best seller list. Again, following on on the unprecedented uh, success of my first book that was launched on the Wednesday 30th, Wednesday the 23rd of November 2018. That also made it that evening onto the top 10 bestseller list. By Saturday, it made it onto number one. In all, probably the three odd years has not come off the best top 10 seller list. So the title is actually an African adage. The same way that the first one is an African adage, lift as you rise, that needs no um, um, explanation. So beyond the title in full says, behold the title, it only makes progress when its neck is stuck out. That until and unless you are prepared to risk it all, you will not make substantial progress. That until and unless you are prepared to speak truth to power, South Africa will remain where it is. It says, behold the turtle because we all begin to die when we are silent about things that genuinely matter. Firstly, I've read the book. Uh, very fascinating. Um, we, I'm definitely going to take you on uh, as we unpack it further. The listeners who may not have the opportunity to be part of the launch, I, I would encourage them to read the book for the lot of lessons, leadership lessons, that I personally would like to call upon everybody to, to apply their minds on as we continue this very difficult journey. Once again, congratulations are in order in that respect, Mr. Mahali. Thank you so very much, Mkulwanwaka. It's genuinely much appreciated. Yes, indeed. As we proceed, Dr. Mahali, one of the biggest questions or issues that caught the international eyes um, upon the release of the first uh, book or the first report by the Zono Commission, it drew attention from the likes of the British MP, Lord Peter Hayne, who called for UK government to freeze all contracts which uh, it has with consulting firm Bain and Company. What's your response to that, amongst other voices globally and nationally, about the role played by companies such as Bain and Company? Zondo report is very clear. But let me start with the Right Honorable Peter Hayne of Neath, who's a friend of South Africa, who himself is a South African, 
a Pretoria boyki whose father ran away from the might of the apartheid government, landed up in the UK. He did very well. He ended up being a member of parliament. So when the UK put us on the red list, because we were the first country in the world to have done this genome sequencing that ended up with this Omicron variant here in South Africa. Instead of the world celebrating our brilliance, our hard work, will, determination, and dedication to succeed, to hide their own inadequacies, they decided to put us on the red list together with the rest of probably sub-Saharan Africa. So we called on him to say, you better write a letter to your Prime Minister Boris Johnson to say, this doesn't make sense. And he did, he wrote a powerful letter. But he's not alone. Public Interest SA has also written to um, the US of A around Bain's involvement. But also entities like the South African Institute of Chartered Accountants Unite from Zanzi has done exactly the same thing. So going back to this Zondo Commission report number one of three, four years later, 400 days of hearings, more than 300 witnesses, and 1,400 people implicated at a cost of almost a billion rand. It is 874 pages long. It comes in three volumes. I'm just talking about report one. And those three volumes touch on three critical uh, entities. Number one on SAA and its associated companies. Here we're talking about SAA Technical, South African Express Airways and Airships, the catering company. But also the Gupta's The New Age. You remember those famous breakfasts where SOEs would donate in parenthesis 40 million, 60 million as a way of aiding and abetting state capture. That's the second volume. The third volume focuses on the South African Revenue Service, which we call SARS for short. The preliminary findings, I think, are very seminal, very telling. When it pertains to the person who instituted this commission of inquiry into state capture, former President Gelehegisa Jacob Zuma, they say, the report says, we found him to be dishonest and he fled from accountability. That he was vulgar and calculating in betraying his own people. That he helped the Guptas to capture the state. That he wasn't just an innocent victim, but was front and center in colluding with the private sector to intentionally capture SARS. When it comes to our wonderful movement, the African National Congress says the ANC benefited from the proceeds of corruption, that it abused the government tender system, that it did not care or slept on the job or had no clue what to do. And its government did nothing to stop the decline of state institutions. The report further confirms that there was state security agency involvement, that its resources were used to aid state capture and non-existing legislation was used to illegally vet SAA executive. That led to seven quitting. When we have time, I'll come back to that because this is one of the four pillars on which state capture rests. The report says... And it states that almost complete failure to prosecute corruption cases involving violations of the PFMA, it puts that blame firmly at the door of government. And the report directs the police to probe kickback claims against former Transport Minister Medipur Peters. It also touches on former Johannesburg Mayor, Mr. Jeff Makubo, that twice he asked for and he received donations for the ANC before contracting for services for the city. That the Guptas used pawns to milk the more than 740 state-owned enterprises 
and state-owned companies. The report also has a few choice things to say about companies such as NetBank, Startup Bank, PwC, and others. It also says government should re-examine all contracts with Bain and Company with a view to enable the NPA to start the process of prosecution. It highlights the former DPE minister, Malusi Gigaba, that he was prepared to do wrong for both the Guptas and Zuma in reappointing, amongst others, Mr. Siabonga Gama as CEO of Transnet Freight Rail and Mr. Brian Mulefe as the group CEO of Transnet over a much better qualified and a candidate that scored the highest point in the form of Dr. Manza Danjo, that even a cashing transit firm and financial regulators were lax on money laundering. It then goes on to say there are some people that must be charged. Number one on that list is Tom Moyani with perjury for having lied, not only in a court of law, but in parliament. That we need to charge Tony Gupta, Brian Mulefe, and Colin Majid over irregular the new age deals that Medudumuyeni and her son, Talente, they must be charged for corruption and incompetence. That regiment capitals Eric Wood and Niven Pile, together with the former SA treasurer Petulo Ramusibudi, must be charged for corruption. That Mayor Kekwinana, the former non-executive director at SAA, who's also a chartered accountant, must be charged. That Ms. Nonsasa Memela, the former SAA technical procurement head, must be charged. It ends by recommending that we should reward whistleblowers. Let me pause there literally. Interesting observation as you unpack the, the, the content of the first of the three report by the Zona Commission. Uh, this is Beyond Governance at 101.9 High FM. My name is Nimrod Mbele and I'm joined by Professor Bono Mahale, who is the president of BUSA. And we are unpacking the first report of the three uh, by the Zono Commission. Beyond Governance, making sense of doing business in South Africa, is proudly sponsored by Plus94 Research, the science of decision-making. Welcome back. This is Nimrod Mbele. I'm joined by Professor Bono Mahale. We are unpacking the first report presented by the Zono Commission. And before we took that break, Professor Bono Mahale was giving us insight on, firstly, the, the extent of the looting, which is pretty much known by all in sundry by this point. But what is more telling based on his personal view is the fact that the, the report is actually pointing to prosecution that needs to be undertaken by the NPA. But before we get to that point of prosecution, the follow-up question that I want to ask, going back to a number of, of entities that aided shamelessly the looting, is there or are there, um, how can I put it, are there entities that should be exempted from the prosecution? I tell you why I'm asking this question is that there's perception in this country that some individuals, some organizations, some entities will be exempted. Perhaps maybe that's the reason why the factional battles in the in the ruling party uh, is so right, purely because there's this perception that there are holy cows. From where you're sitting, and based on the evidence that is presented, presented by the report, should there be holy cows? Nobody should be exempted because as business, as leaders, we are custodians of uniformity and consistency. And our constitution is very clear. It talks about equality before the law. So as we ponder, we need as business to say charity like clarity begins at home. We, we need to absolutely start with our very own. And with our very own, we need to be clear in saying this must be a report of a commission of inquiry like no other. It's not going to file number 13. As business, we are going to work with all social partners to ensure that it results in convictions. People must be charged, they must be convicted, and they must be sentenced. As business, we want to use this report to restore businesses' reputation, integrity, and credibility, and thereby regain businesses' social license to operate. We must be seen to be acting tougher 
on our own members. Because you see, business is trusted twice as much as government. Business has regained its voice and it must use that voice judiciously. Business cannot afford to have some amongst itself as those people that have been named in this comprehensive, well-thought-out, beautifully articulated report. So let me start where I ended off by saying, as business, we support, we welcome, especially the suggestion that says we must reward whistleblowers. Not only by putting money aside and making sure that when they've been hounded out, some of them unfortunately have lost their lives, that business must be bold in going out of its way to offer jobs to these whistleblowers, to send a strategic message that says, speaking truth to power pays, not kills. We also support the overarching recommendations that a national charter against corruption must be adopted by all social partners, starting with business, government, labor, and civil society. And we need to do this in conjunction and consultation with all relevant stakeholders. That lastly, that there must be an independent public procurement anti-corruption agency, including a council, inspectorate, a litigation unit, a tribunal, a court that must be established. And we are going to, amongst other things, be focusing on that literally because we had an emergency urgent board meeting just yesterday as BUSA at 1500 hours where we resolved categorically to say we are going to enhance the initiatives by other business organizations who have already formed an integrity fund and crowdfund that to make sure that we have both an oversized and outsized impact in the conviction and the litigation that must uh, be followed. We have been very clear as BUSA in resolving that we have to come out very strongly to say People must go to jail. They must wear uh, orange overalls. But we also said, as business, we are prepared to roll our sleeves in building capacity in those institutions that have been hollowed out, like the NPA. Lastly, we resolved to call upon our 55 member organizations, because BUSA is an apex organization, to go back to their own members that have been named in this report number one of the Zondo Commission report, to say to them, please take us in your confidence as to what happened, what was your role in this, and what do you have to say to answer for yourself, to show that you are remorseful, that you are regretful, that you are contrite, because contrition is an ongoing process. You have to continue asking for forgiveness and be eternally grateful for the message shown. So as I end, no one, whether you are the president of the ruling party, whether you are the speaker of parliament, whether you are the secretary general of any organization, the law must apply uniformly, equally, but with the most heightened sense of agency, because otherwise our investment status is being hugely eroded. We're not sending a message that says South Africa is open for business. Now, as I end, we are lumped together with countries that are corrupt. They are saying as corrupt as South Africa. We have earned that. We deserve it. And until and unless we have purged ourselves, I think we need to be called a corrupt South Africa. Thank you very much for that insight. I, I, I mean, I couldn't agree with you more principally, but practically speaking, uh, Prof, the argument that it has been presented and continues to be presented by all in Sandra in South Africa is the fact that the Zona Commission findings aren't necessarily different from any other commissions that I've outlined earlier. And the business, uh, you've articulated the, the quest for business to, show, to, to restore credibility. How do we inspire confidence among citizens following the inability of business and government to act on previous commissions, in my view, and 
view of pretty much uh, South Africans, I would imagine, is the precedent. There has not really been much done to prosecute those that were fingered in previous commission. How will this be different? It must be different because South Africans must stand up and say, not in our name. It must be different because none of us are going to bed until we have put money aside to create this integrity fund and to help the NPA, even if we have to go to private prosecutions, we are not going to rest. It must be different because 15 commissions of inquiries later, some of them that are still gathering dust on file 13, we need to say, how are we going to look our children in the eye and say to them, this is the legacy that we have left you and still be able to sleep at night. Therefore, for me, I think there is a ticking time bomb that is about to go off. The tinderbox that having been finally lit amongst others by a number of things that we saw. We spoke about the touching of parliament, a national key point with the ease with which it happened. We saw the two weeks in July of rampant looting. I think we need to be very fair in looking ourselves in the mirror and accept that failed and failed miserably. That all of us collectively has not succeeded in eliminating the legacy of apartheid. If I were to give an example, Muhulwanwaka, I mean, local government is not only in a palace state, but has collapsed. Young black graduates are roaming the streets hopelessly, unhappy, angry, disillusioned, and disaffected. That only 30% of families have both parents. Where inequality is widening, racism is at an all-time high. Public schooling is broken. Public hospitals continue to fail the poor and the vulnerable. Crucial infrastructure is in decay. Lawlessness has now become an epidemic. Even electricity supply continues to be uneven, unstable, and unreliable. That state capture, corruption, and cadre deployment has visited untold harm to our nascent democracy. I couldn't agree with you more uh, on those observations, but coming back to the point that I've raised earlier, it's about the confidence, it's about business confidence, it's about public confidence, it's about the morale of the society, which has completely uh, decayed, as you've correctly pointed out. One of the arguments that uh, we've seen, especially from business side, that some of the business will be very happy to pay back the money. Your KPMGs, your HSBS, your Standard Chartered, your Baroda, your McKenzie, your, your, your SAP, all these companies are more likely to pay back the money. The question is, is that enough? Considering the fact that the public image, the reputational damage is unprecedented, the money that could be paid by these entities, enough to restore confidence, if at all. You raise a critically important issue, Letebel, and I agree with you. It can't all be about money. Because by the way, our constitution is very clear. Even if you have repaid the money, when you've committed a crime, that now becomes the preserve of the National Prosecution Agency. That's what we're going to continue to goad, uh, to encourage uh, Mila Badoi to continue to do that. Even those companies that have fully paid back the money that was illegally uh, earned, that even those SOEs that have returned back the irregular, fruitless, and wasteful expenditure. Because they've broken the law, the law must continue to take its course. Here we've been absolutely let down by our wonderful, once wonderful liberation movement that has become a waning, corrupt, morally bankrupt, self-serving, self-indulgent, self-absorbed, rent-seeking, mostly rural, indecisive party, now best known for dithering on key socioeconomic issues with a tempestuous approach to policy. This wonderful movement, once wonderful movement, has now become synonymous with state capture, lack of service delivery, and leading by commissions and coalitions. And it cannot be. Let me end by saying that every single solitary one of our member companies 
every single solitary one of the 1,400 people that have been implicated who are business people. We are going to ensure that we hold them individually, finally accountable in them doing everything in their power to explain themselves, to provide the third party support and to tell us what is it that they've done, like in the TRC, to tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth, because that is the beginning to contrition. Without that, there's not even a conversation that is going to be had. And then as Busa, we have said, we are going to take all these amalgamated reports, all of them aggregated to the top, read them where we are not satisfied. As a board, we sit down and say, what more can we do as business to set the tempo, to set the example that business indeed can and should be a force for good? that business cannot continue to sit at the pinnacle of state capture when we know different. And there are more than enough pieces of legislation in this country, my dear brother, to ensure that none of us do things that we should not be doing and that we do those things that we've been elected to do, that even in business, there is a big expectation to do what is consistent with social justice. That there are many laws that we should be looking at to implement them. We don't need anything new, like the prevention and combating of corruptions, Corruption Activities Act. It's there. Why are we not using it? The Protected Disclosures Act that is supposed to protect whistleblowers and make it easy to have a million and one eyes in companies that are doing things that are not supposed to be doing. We also have the Independent Agency Against Corruption in Public Procurement that currently is absolutely looking at some of these issues, including the Office of the Auditor General. That is their job. So when we now need to be recommended by Deputy Chief Justice Raymond Zondo to say we also need an inspectorate, a tribunal, and, and a court of appeal. And yet the criminal justice system is still there and it's absolutely adequate, including the South African Police Service and also the prosecution arm of this. And what have we been doing all along? I promise you that if we have time, I'll go back to how state capture works and the four pillars on which it rests without any degree of granularity. Number one is to ensure that you create a shadow state where parliament is no longer the locus of control. That number two is about repurposing the more than 740 state-owned enterprises and state-owned companies for people's personal gains. That number three is about getting rid of the good people who know what they're doing, who are experienced, demonstrable track record, who are highly educated, and replace them with the bad guys, who are clueless. Their only claim to fame is that they're going to add aid and a bad state capture. Lastly, of course, you know that um, state capture has succeeded when they're no longer happy to steal at the trough industrial scale looting. They now want to drink from the fire hydrant where the ultimate prize is the capture of national treasury because it has two important institutions, South African Revenue Services, but also the PIC, that at the time that this Commission of Inquiry started four years ago, was sitting on two trillion assets under management, making it the biggest asset manager in the continent. Thank you very much, Dr. Mahali. Um, I could not agree with some of the observations that you have alluded to. I suppose this is where we're going to take a, a short break, and we'll come back in a second. Beyond Governance, Making Sense of Doing Business in South Africa is proudly sponsored by Plus94 Research, the science of decision-making. It's amazing how time flies. It's almost, uh, we are now entering the, the, the second last leg of a very interesting conversation with Honorable Dadebona Mahale, who is the president for BUSA. Before we took that uh, short break, 
One of the issues that you have raised, which I could not agree with you more, is the fact that Busa has resolved to enhance all the initiative uh, uh, through the 55 member organization um, so that they're able to go back to their organization and demand explanation where possible secure private prosecution to address the state capture uh, through all the malfeasance that we've seen to date. One of the questions that sits in everyone's mind at the moment, it is one thing to have comprehensive report in the form of the Zona Commission report. It is another to prosecute. We do know that the NPA as the prosecutorial entity of government does not have sufficient capacity to prosecute. The media reports that we have seen to date is that we have a number of, of resignation, high level of resignation. To what extent, from a policy sequencing point of view, because when you establish the commission of inquiry, already you needed to have beefed up the technical support by ensuring that men and women who have credibility, who have expertise, who have experience in prosecution are part and parcel of the NPA. From a business perspective, to what, to what extent do you think the NPA is likely to successfully prosecute all those who were fingered? In our view, as a society, this is where you are able to demonstrate confidence. This is where you are able to zip it in the past by demonstrating that those that were implicated, um, well, firstly, they have their day in court, and secondly, prosecution is happening. Your take on that from Bruce's point of view. Literally, you have hit the nail on the head. That is the desired outcome. Let me start a wonderful African adage that says, an eagle uses the storm to reach unimaginable heights. We are in the eye of the storm. Everywhere you look, there is mayhem, chaos, deterioration. And as a people with great natural endowments, this is the time to redouble our efforts. This is not the time to give up hope. Therefore, we want to use this to rebuild, to bring about the South Africa of Hulisasa, Nelson Mandela's dreams. The South Africa that all of us have been praying for. The South Africa that will look after Africa's children. So one of the things we are really going to address is to say we know that state institutions were deliberately, purposefully, consciously hollowed out to add aid and abet state capture. That a lot of people are not very energized about working for government because that's where careers are destroyed. That most Africans in particular look back and say this ANC-led government has killed more Africans than the whole of the apartheid national party put together. Because we remember so well when four executives at ESCOM, less than six months into their tenure, with a collective experience of a hundred years, were fired simply for refusing to sign the optimum code contract over to the Guptas. That's what we've been doing. And examples like that are replete in almost all the state-owned enterprises. So it's about going back and talking to our members and say, like we did with the vaccination program, when we had a common enemy, we rallied around, business took the lead, we even paid the initial tranche that got us into the COVAX program. Government said they'll pay their second and last tranche on the 15th of December. Lo and behold, on the 28th of December, business had to pay even the second tranche. That's why we're in the COVAX program. Business continued to work very hard in saying we have 16.5 million people employed by the private sector and only 2.3 million in all three spheres of government. If you gave us the vaccines, we'll be able to reach our people within a year. We can achieve the initial target of 67% of head immunity which was 40 million South Africans at a rate of 100,000 a day, every day. It would have taken us 400 days or 13.3 months. But unfortunately, that's another one where we could have done better. So the one thing that we want to do, number one more than anything else, is we go back to our own people, the capable, demonstrable track record to say, please do consider seriously helping this government. 
with capacity. Go back to the SOEs because this is the time for rebuilding. It is much easier to tear down and destroy. Much more difficult to build up, create. Letebele, I hand over back to you. Thank you very much. And I couldn't agree with you more, um, particularly on the capacity of state. Uh, as you've currently pointed out, state capture was a deliberate exercise um, to undermine the ability of state to to be more responsive on its own policy imperatives that are meant to address uh, unemployment, inequality, and poverty. There's absolutely no way in which the current government or even future government can address the policy imperatives uh, when we have, where we do not have men and women of stature, men and women who are competent, men and women who have the track record, particularly in key strategic institutions such as SARS, PIC, National Treasury, and so on and so forth. But having said that, um, and again, I want to go back to the issue of the NPA, the support which business is going to lend to, NP, to NPA and, and other law enforcement agencies to successfully prosecute. Is there a charter? Is there a plan uh, from BUSA and any other business association to support uh, NPA and other law enforcement agencies? to successfully prosecute those implicated? So because the Zondo Commission just came out last week, we have to develop a plan as a matter of agency. And in some of its recommendations, it's actually quite clear what needs to be done in conjunction and consultation with other stakeholders. But we need to be very clear in saying that, you see, business cannot afford to be agnostic about state capture. That those companies that are involved, implied or otherwise, we have a very clear stance about how we are going to treat them. That business must be the societal counterweight in order to ensure that somebody keeps even the good guys in check. Because at the moment, it's very difficult to find the good guys amongst our once wonderful movement, the ANC. I'm reminded of what Sheikh Rashid al-Makhtoum observed about his own country in Dubai when he said there will have to be a regression before there is progress when he opined that hard times create strong men. Strong men then create easy times. But unfortunately, it's iterative because easy times then create weak men. Weak men create difficult times. And that's what we need to use as an opportunity now to say 27 years into democracy, we're still young. Still young. We can't even compare ourselves with centuries of Europe. This is the time to button down the buttons and put the shoulder to the wheel and say, surely South Africa cannot be another failed African country. We need to do everything in our power to make sure that we give our children a future that on a composite basis is substantially better than what we inherited. You couldn't have put it better uh, in that in that particular view, Dr. Mahali. As a follow-up to the the support which Business Unity South Africa is going to uh, lend to social partners, um, I think it might be useful just to get a perspective on the trade union. For it is one, these are this is one of the critical stakeholders that has been quite vociferous in wanting to see change. Uh, in as much as you will be lending hand to NPA. Uh, of BUSA in relation to trade union because part of the social contracting, part of the social con- construct is the ability to sit down on a table with all the critical role players, including the labor movement, on issues around the defining what is the position moving forward in as far as the trade unions are concerned. You see, labor is not only a crucial but a critical cog amongst social partners. So BUSA is the only organization that sits at NEDLEC with all the four social partners. And when we look across and we speak to labor, we say, labor, your role is going to be needed now more than ever before. Because remember that all the labor unions collectively now own more than 30% of the market capitalization of the Johannesburg Stock Exchange. Acting on their own, their impact will be dissipated. Acting in consent and together, 30% they can vote out directors of companies. That's the power, the force, the impetus that they have. And that's what we need to remind them of. 
we need to look at labor and say, you are now also part of capital. Therefore, when we talk about putting together an integrity fund, let's use some of your money to put here for the greater good. Because it's only when we act in the interest of the greater good that all of us individually are substantially better than we could possibly be on our own. Lastly, we need to say to labor, together we need to hold government finally accountable. You see, the era of cadre deployment must end and end now because it's cadre deployment that's not only at the heart but precipitated, agitated and orchestrated to be where we are now to make it easy for state capture to take root. That needs to stop as a matter of agency. But you see, if the ANC-led government was giving us absolutely the best that they have as cadre deployment, we'd probably leave them alone. Unfortunately, in the 27 years of democracy, they've been giving us absolutely their worst. Now, I'm not saying that every single solitary one of the public servants does not know what they're doing. That's not what I'm saying. But especially in positions of leadership, that kind of deployment has to stop. We need to look at being broadly reflective of the demographics and pull upon the demonstrable track record of all our partners. Let me give you an example. I mean, business can spell this notion called project management in their sleep. How to deliver mega projects on time, on budget, and in full. And yet this government in 27 years, there's not a single one mega project that they embarked upon and they were able to execute just on time, where the costs have not at least doubled from the new product multi, the new multi-product pipeline that is lying alongside the, the DJP to move product from the coast to Haute, where there's 12 million car park where it's needed the most, to now Midupikwisile and Ingula, to the 1,064 locomotives that initially were budgeted at 30 billion and went to 50, 54 billion and still rising, and nobody has gone to jail for it, it ought to stop. Let the bell back to you, Dad. Beyond Governance, Making Sense of Doing Business in South Africa is proudly sponsored by Plus94 Research, the science of decision-making. Absolutely uh, on point there, Dadima Mohali, in respect to the inability of government to do the basics. Um, and as you've correctly pointed out, the ability to, uh, you know, some of the costs that we incurred in mega projects are completely uh, unacceptable uh, by any stretch of the money of imagination, particularly in a country in a country that has physical challenges, uh, as it were. Um, this is Beyond Governments at 101.9 High FM. My name is Nurin Mbele, and we are about to wrap up a very fascinating conversation with Professor Bonang Mahalef, who is the president of BUSA. Uh, in, in our in our conversation, we are literally unpacking uh, all the salient points which the Zona Commission has put forward. And I'm quite intrigued to hear that the BUSA, as one critical role player uh, who sits at, at NEDLEC, is able to, uh, or they are rather in the process of putting a plan that will support um, a government in executing the outcome of the report. We unfortunately going to run out of time. Before we, we, we part ways, um, one of the issues that I picked up from Haynes' comments about the Gupta, uh, Zuma Gupta decades of prodigious looting, unprecedented looting, is that it could not have, it could not have happened without the KPMGs of this world, the McKinsey's of this world, the ASAP of this world, the banks of, the banks which include HSBC, Standard Chartered and Baroda. The fundamental question is, these entities would not have acted the way they've acted if the culture was not, was not, was, was, was not conducive. From an ethical point of view, clearly there's a whole lot of cleansing that needs to be done at an executive level to ensure that leadership 
Acts in accordance to the King report. Your last part is short in that respect. You are absolutely spot on, my dear brother. So I think as the 60.1 million South Africans, we need to continue to demand, especially of the public sector and the private sector, ethical leadership. It sounds tautologous because leadership can be anything else but ethical. But for emphasis, ethical leadership. And secondly, this notion of final accountability, where when somebody has done something that they shouldn't, that the buck stops with you. Lastly, we need absolute transparency. It is our money. You see, the politicians work for us, not the other way around. Let me end by saying, Mohulani, that you know in the world that is affected by precariousness, the Zondo Commission report number one, for me personally, is the most solemn moment. At this time, as South Africans, we need to bury the hatchet and come together and scrum together and say these 1,400 implicated individuals and the companies that have been named must be charged, prosecuted, and indeed stop being part um, of the ongoing aiding and abetting of state capture. It's at this time that we have to be one another and each other's stability because a person with strong values inspires others. When all of us strive for excellence, the outcome cannot be anything else but excellence. That business is also in this with us because it cannot continue to be an island of prosperity in a sea of poverty. Well, well, I certainly hope the listener managed to grasp all those critical points. It's quite befitting to hear Busa's perspective, which in my view, uh, does come across as deliberate, purposeful, uh, and eager to transform the country by way of supporting the report uh, in, in all its sundry. It has been absolutely a pleasure having you, Dr. Bona Mahale, as always. And I certainly hope that the listener has derived value uh, from your insight, observation, and articulation from Busa's perspective. And it does give confidence to a number of us that who are sitting on the periphery to see that something is going to be done, something is being done uh, uh, now or later for the generation before we owe it to the future generation. We fail uh, to act to act diligently on the on the current fiasco. We're only doing us ourselves disservice, particularly the generations to come. It has been an absolute pleasure having you, Mare. There we go. That's, uh, that was the, uh, Professor Bonamahale too, joining us um, on a very interesting topic, giving us ins and outs of Busa's perspective regarding the first of the three reports released by the Zondo Commission. Let's do this again in the near future. It has been an absolute pleasure. Shalom.